around because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be loved I've gotta be free Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap Committee, alive from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And uh, the live audience is a little larger than it has been in recent weeks, as Tap Into the Truth tonight is live simulcasting with the fine folks over at Late Night in the Midlands Network. Uh, yes, that's right. Michael Vera, host of Late Night in the Midlands, is expanding his network to have some broadcasts added onto it outside of the operational hours of his own show. And I am very, very honored to be amongst those extra broadcast uh, folks. So uh, thanks to Michael Vera, thanks to Late Night in the Midlands, and uh, I was going to uh, have some promos that were sent over to me downloaded, but I've been having all kinds of issues with the home broadcasting platform of BTR tonight. Uh, so I'm literally uh, more than 15 minutes late on my normal start time. I'm going to have to keep things uh, on the schedule, as I am scheduled to be joined in the second hour by Mr. Dan Perkins. And it is, of course, Wednesday night, which also means that ordinarily I would have with me for the first hour uh, Mr. Ron Edwards. However, Ron uh, has some stuff going on, and uh, he's not going to be able to join us tonight. So sorry, guys, you're just stuck with me in this first hour. And I want to give a shout-out to uh, 
my good friend Chief, host of a great show in its own right uh, called Simple Facts of Life, who has already joined me in the chat room. Uh, hopefully others have not come along and then disappeared, uh, being upset that the show wasn't starting on time. All right, so I'm going to have to jump into some stuff because there's plenty of things going on, and unfortunately – there's really not enough time to talk about everything that I would like to talk about. So many things have transpired in the last couple of days, and I wasn't able to, to make it for the Tuesday night broadcast, which I normally do. Some stuff popped up, and I would have been able to touch on some of these things that I'm going to include in tonight's discussions and kind of felt like I could move on. But there's some stuff that just has to be discussed. And uh, I'm going to start and just try to make real quick items of a couple of them and then just move on in that fashion. Uh, but uh, if you're listening uh, via uh, Late Night in the Midlands, uh, if you're listening to the live broadcast, uh, be sure to uh, use the uh, chat over there, and uh, that will let uh, Crazy Cajun know that uh, you're listening, and uh, he'll let me know, and uh, we'll we'll get everything together, and I'll give you guys some shout-outs as well. Uh, hopefully we can get things run smoothly. wanted to start with this notion tonight. <laughs> Chief just says he was about one minute from disappearance. <laughs> so uh, did I save you, Chief? <laughs> did I save you from disappearing? Uh, I don't know. All right, so we have talked ad nauseum about how ridiculous uh, this protest and this all designed to be upset kind of uh, BS in regards to the Georgia integrity laws is. Now, we've talked about how it actually increases the availability of voting hours. It makes it easier for people to vote. Uh, it just adds uh, a very, very thin layer, a very veiled thin layer of effort to try and ascertain that you are actually who you say you are. Okay? It, it's not something that's clearly obvious, and I don't think they are strict enough with how you're going to identify who you are. I mean when, when utility bills becomes an acceptable method, I'm sorry. Now, that's literally – that doesn't prove you are who you say you are. <laughs> it just doesn't. I can go down the street here, and uh, if I know which day of the week that they're expecting their utility bills, I could sneak into their mailboxes before they do if I'm criminally inclined. After all, that is technically a federal offense, and I could grab that, and I could fill out a whole bunch of mail-in ballots for other people. You know that It's no evidence whatsoever, but to show you how ridiculous this has become… I got just watching this little announcement the other day from Will Smith. Now, everybody who's seen a movie in the last decade probably has a pretty good idea who Will Smith is. And if you're anything like me, then you were probably already familiar with Will Smith uh, from his previous career before he entered acting as a rap artist, and one that actually made a name for himself by keeping things rather clean and dealing a lot with humor in the earliest days of his career, uh, better known then as the Fresh Prince, uh, also hanging out with a certain DJ Jazzy Jeff. Uh, at any rate, I had always thought that Will Smith was a bit smarter than the average uh, Hollywood leftist type. 
And for the most part, I would have felt comfortable presuming that to still be the case. However, over the last – well, the last three to five years maybe, I've been seeing little signs, little things he's has said here and there. It's kind of indicated that maybe, maybe his mindset was changing. Maybe he had been in that echo chamber for a little too long, and I think that's been made pretty obvious. At this point, when he announced that uh, he's removing the movie that he's currently working on, a um, slave, runaway slave thriller by the name of Emancipation, it's based on a true story. He's pulled it out of the state of Georgia, so he's not going to do it anymore. And a couple of things kind of stand out in my mind because in his official statement, he said that he cannot, with a clear conscience, uh, do anything that would su- help to support. A government that would suppress voting rights. That sticks out in my mind because it's actually the government that's helping to support him and all the other Hollywood leftist types that have moved their productions into the state of Georgia. Uh, How is that, you might say? Well, the reason they've been going to Georgia is because Georgia's went so far out of their way to offer up tax exemptions that in a lot of cases, especially – uh, in the case of Netflix in particular, uh, the state of Georgia is almost paying them to come there. They're covering a huge amount of costs that just doesn't happen in other places. Now, almost every state uh, in their entertainment budget and their tourist budget uh, now make allowances and are willing to work with Hollywood types that want to come and uh, at least shoot some footage uh, on site. You know uh, that kind of thing, and they'll work with them. They'll offer up tax exemptions. In fact, uh, not too long ago, we saw this big debacle with the uh, DC Universe, which is now defunct. Uh, well, technically, it's DC Universe Ultimate now, and it's just comics, and they moved all the uh, video stuff over to HBO Max is what's happened. Uh, but they had a show called Swamp Thing on, and uh, actually – Considering the source material, if you were ever a fan of Swamp Thing, uh, the first half of the season at least was actually pretty good. But uh, about halfway through the season, there seemed to have become some type of issue between the production company involved and, of course, the fine folks at Warner Brothers who oversaw this and uh, the state of North Carolina, which is where they were filming it on site. (coughs) Well, the point being that… Because they had agreed to one thing, and then the production company felt like they were kind of – there had been some kind of miscommunication. They felt like they were being bamboozled, that it wasn't as much of a tax break as they thought. They then decided to just cancel the show. They shortened the season and canceled the show, and then it kind of rushed. And you could kind of tell if you were watching and you were a fan. You could tell when they started kind of rushing things together, and then there was a lack of development, and it came to an end. And I had kind of hoped that maybe they could work something out or move to another state and get the same type of things. But evidently nobody seemed interested. Maybe the Maybe the ratings just weren't good enough for that. I don't know. I don't understand everything involved with entertainment, but here's what I do understand. Will Smith is moving this movie into Louisiana now. Now, that's going to be good for the folks in Louisiana, but the difference in the level of tax breaks they're going to get is in the $15 million range. So it's going to cost them an additional $15 million to make this movie that it would not have previously. Now, if they've got that kind of money to throw around, fine, great. Hey, stick to your guns, Will. But have you really put much thought into it? Because you're not 
supporting the government there. You're supporting the individuals who give small business interactions with your production. And again, for the same reason that we have criticized Major League Baseball, it seems to me like if you want to be supportive and helpful of the black community, that you're actually hurting a lot of members of the black community in the state of Georgia by doing this. You're not hurting the government in any fashion. You're not. You're not supporting them by staying. You're not hurting them by leaving. And in fact, what you're actually doing is you're showing your very short-sightedness. Showing that you are not educated on the issue, although I'm sure every last one of – every single leftist that's commented on this is convinced that they're very – they comment this with a very educated mind. Uh, no, miseducated perhaps. But as you circle around and really look at this, it doesn't make any sense. You're not doing anything positive. You're once again virtue signaling, and if you think about what you're really doing, you're hurting people in your – in the black community. That's not going to change how the people of the state of Georgia vote. In, if anything, the more these voters who have been supporting the Democratic Party see how much they're willing to throw them under the bus – and how it is in fact the folks that are typically part of the Republican Party that are fighting hard to protect everyone, well, then you're going to see some more people join the <clears throat> walk away movement. So, you know, whatever you need to do, you guys. All right, uh, Cajun has joined us in the BTR chat room as well. It says, Mother Nature is being a real pain today. But uh, you know we'll we will fight our way through. Now, uh, some of the other things that are in the news that are certainly worth major mentions is the revelation. Speaking of people that claim to be supporting the black community, the revelation that one of the founding members of the BLM movement has been out buying a lot of properties. You know, at first it broke that she bought one property, and it was a rather expensive property. Well, as it continues on, what are you going to do? Turns out that she was uh, had bought multiple properties and was still eyeing uh, yet additional properties. And these are all multi-million dollar uh, locations, and mostly uh, surrounded by white. Rich, white people. A very small percentage of the population would be black. So what is she really doing? Well, Miss Colors is doing exactly what I and several other conservative voices have been trying to tell you from the very beginning when it comes to BLM Incorporated. BLM, the organization, is a Marxist organization that just wants to see the overthrow of the United States of America in its current form. And uh, also, it's a bit of a grifter. They're race-baiting grifters. Millions and millions, in fact, well into the realm of billions at this point, I'm quite certain, billions of dollars in contributions and donations from corporate America and, of course, from individuals who bought in – to the lie that these people were actually working to try to make life better for black people in America. 
Yeah, and when you use something that's universal, that's Black Lives Matter, which, by the way, is only universal if you ignore the fact that, number one, black people make up a still relatively small percentage of the nation here as a whole, and that black lives exist outside of the United States, so they do have their international tendrils reached out, but they don't seem to be doing anything at all outside of the country other than fundraising. It seems to be a very myopic view. Of course, don't you dare. Don't you dare ask them a single question about what are you doing to improve the lives of black people in this country? What are you doing to try to help uh, better the lives of African Americans living in Chicago, for example? What are you doing to address the, the terrible, horrific instances of black-on-black violence? You're not allowed to ask those questions. You're not allowed to point that out. That is not the purview of this organization. We've literally heard them say this. That is outside the scope of this organization. That is outside the purview. We are only addressed and concerned about the idea, emphasis on idea. It's not even an honest idea, but the idea of police brutality. And man, do we have police brutality going on around us like crazy. I will address the current hottest topics a little later with Dan when he joins us, but uh, there's so many things circling on. We've got uh, the Chauvin trial still ongoing. The defense has finally started, and there is one thing uh, that is obvious besides what we've already discussed being obvious… And that one thing that is obvious is the fact that the judge is pro-prosecution. Now, we've already talked about the fact that the media and the talking head pundits and Democratic office holders all definitely, distinctly, without a question, without a doubt, want there to be riots. But we now know that the judge in the case is definitely pro-prosecution. Every decision that this judge has made, every choice that this judge has made is clear-cut. A week, a week of the prosecution was allowed just to sit back and talk about how certain people had feelings. It had no bearing on the case at all, and the judge allowed it and allowed it to continue, and for up to a week, uh, I was… I was the cashier at the convenience store where he tried to pass off uh, this this uh, phony stuff, and, and I feel really bad for having called the cops because he died. Okay, why? You did what you were supposed to do. This guy was committing a criminal act that would have come out of your pocket. Your You would have been the victim. You admitted that your store had a policy, and as a cashier, and the store is completely within its rights to say, hey, if you know they're handing you something that's not real, guess what? You're responsible because that's, that's the job that you have. That's the job of being a cashier. If you're accepting money and you're making change, then you're responsible for the totals in your cash register at the end of the day. That is explained to you when you accept that position. That is understood by you when you take that job. And when the store says, when the company that you work for says you're responsible for that till, and if you check something and you know it is not right, you do this, this, and this in order to make it right, or else it comes out of your pocket or you're fired. 
and that's all completely legitimate and understandable on the part of the business. Now, if you don't think that's reasonable, if you don't think that's understandable, obviously you've never run a business. Obviously, you've never counted on an employee to bring value to your business so that you can have some level of profitability so that maybe you can afford to give raises. Maybe you can afford to keep the electricity to your business turned on and the water and the power and all the things that allows you to be in business, everything that we generally refer to as overhead. It's called overhead because it's what's involved with keeping the roof over the head of your employees as you conduct your business. Many places won't let you be open without running water. Many places won't let you allow customers in without electricity working. So, you know, it all comes into play. We call it overhead for a reason. These are the cost of doing business that you have to pay and that you must overcome in order to reach a level of profitability. You ever want a business to be able to pay $15 an hour for a minimum wage? Then you dang sure better hope that every employee is taking it seriously with collecting the cash because that's where that money has to come from or a, they hire fewer people to work for them, or B, the door shut down and everybody loses their job. I mean, and that, this is actually pre-Business 101, which is part of why I know so many people seem to have difficulty understanding it. I fail to understand. But anyway, the, the, the whole week, a whole week of nothing but – and now – now the judge will not allow the defense to let the jury hear the FBI interview with George Floyd's drug dealer. Now the FBI conducted an interview. That, uh, that information has been logged. It's been categorized. It's, it's available. The, the defense has read it. The judge has not allowed the defense to ask questions about drug-induced delirium of expert witnesses. That testified for the prosecution. Why? Well, because it might reflect a monicum of truth about what was going on. Now, the defense finally got started, and the judge really didn't even want to allow some of the testimony that got in. Now, the expert witness for the defense involving uh, the use of uh, use of force, he didn't do the greatest of jobs. He just didn't. You know, he exaggerated a bit at times, and the uh, prosecution pounced on it. In fact, the, the prosecution has done much much better job of cross-examining defense witnesses than they did with actual <laughs> interviewing their own witnesses. It's, it's kind of a funny thing. Now, again, the prosecution did much better near the end of their second week, but uh, – the earliest parts, not so much. So I, I just – I'm left wondering at what point do we, do we see truth and justice make its way? Uh, I say truth and justice because it's, it is just that necessary that we have some level of honesty back in the media. That we have some level of honesty returned to the courtroom, to, to the justice system that, that we have. I, I don't understand how we get from point A to point B without it. 
Riots have been set up. Riots are coming. So at this point, the jury needs to do the right thing. And the more you see – if you watch the entirety of the video, if you had access to the knowledge of a previous arrest, which you know they entered uh, video evidence of a previous arrest of George Floyd, uh, where again he was in possession of drugs, and he was caught red-handed having swallowed a bunch of the drugs to try and hide the evidence, and uh, they were able to get him to spit it out. Threatened to tase him to do that. Now, this is an older arrest from back in the day, but they're trying to show a pattern of behavior here. They made the point to the jury that even though they weren't going to be able to call the drug dealer, that uh, he refuses to testify on the grounds that he might incriminate himself and that the prosecution is unwilling to offer him immunity for his testimony just proves that whatever he has to say isn't going to help their case. They found… Items that were clearly drugs that were spit out in the back of the uh, cruiser where Floyd was at, uh, where clearly uh, he had spit them out. He has said while uh, being uh, interviewed there that that he had swallowed too many. So this whole notion from the prosecution that he had built up immunity to this stuff. Well, it doesn't really come into play when he swallowed a whole bunch more than he ordinarily would have, and the toxicology report shows that he had enough fentanyl in his system that it was an overdose threat. And the thing about fentanyl, and most people still don't seem to get that, is that it's not always cut the same. Even from the same source, it's not always cut the same. So even if you had a tolerance to fentanyl… Then it is still possible that one bad dose can do you in. He had an underlying heart condition evidently, and this was exacerbated by his drug abuse. He had clearly announced that he was involved with these drugs, that he was addicted to painkillers. Now, the, a lot of this information is out, and it's not intended to be a conviction of George Floyd. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it is intended to point out point blank the serious nature of the issue, and that being that you have to admit that there is no beyond a shadow of a doubt threshold being met that Chauvin was directly responsible for the death of George Floyd. Now, I know what the video looks like, and I know. That everything that comes into play, and I know emotions get high, and I know some people, they don't want to hear anything anyway, and there's been a ton of folks, especially those that lean to the left, that want to just do away completely with due process. In fact, due process now, uh, to say that somebody has the right to due process is clearly grounds for city managers to be terminated uh, in certain cities close to Minneapolis. Again, we'll get more into that topic in the second hour. I continue to struggle with this idea that Derek Chauvin, given what the standard is supposed to be and given all the extenuating circumstances, how there are so many people that are still convinced that it should be the mob that rules and decides this case. But here's the problem. They have not met the bar to this point. 
The prosecution did not make the case. So whatever the defense does now, they can just run circles around and uh, you know sing ring around the rosy if they want. The bar on the state, the threshold of beyond a reasonable doubt, has not been met. It hasn't even come close. So there should be zero ways that Derek Chauvin is found guilty by the jury of any degree of murder. And even the manslaughter charge is a bit of a stretch at this point. <laughs> Cheap in the chat room, so give me my enunciations. <laughs> Fine. Minneapolis. Okay. So in the great state of Minnesota, in the Tri-Cities area, you have this ongoing – and here it is though. With so much pressure being put on and the fear – and you know there is fear in the minds of the jurors. There is fear in the minds of the jurors that they will be doxxed and that someone, someone will make their lives miserable or their children's lives miserable or their significant others' lives miserable, their, their parents' lives miserable. They know that that is a realistic possibility now, that somebody would be willing to break into the records to find out all the personal information and dox them, possibly even from a congressman's office. <coughs> We know it's a legitimate fear. We know the concerns there, but here's the most likely outcome of a legitimate trial at this point. Not guilty on all of the murder charges because the state didn't breach that, and then a hung jury on the manslaughter charge because, again, you're not reaching the, the bare minimum amount of uh, evidence to even support the idea, to support the notion… That perhaps of oh, the Twin Cities area, a chief. Come on. So, <laughs> did I say Tri Cities? Okay, so the Twin Cities area. Sorry, sorry, Minnesota. Uh, there's actually a Tri Cities here in Tennessee, and I probably was reflexively referring to that. So, apologies. The point of the matter is, oh, y'all, cray cray. All right, that's that's the overall message because you got riots on the street. You have riots on the streets over something that it hasn't even been proven was a criminal act. You just have eight minutes of horrific-looking video. That's a small part of nearly 47 minutes of video that still doesn't look great. But here's the thing. Derek Chauvin, along with the other officers, should have left George Floyd in George Floyd in that cruiser. They should have never let him back out once he was in. It didn't matter what he said or how he acted. They should have kept him in there, period. It would have avoided almost all the things that created this issue. But here's the problem. He had so much drugs in his system, and he was having this – issue that he probably would have passed out in the backseat of that car, and he probably would have expired anyway. And then they would be in just as much trouble for ignoring the obvious signs of distress, which are also, by the way, the same obvious signs 
that anybody who's played this in the past will perpetrate against police officers every day all across the country. Just go ask one. If somebody thinks they're about to be arrested and they really don't want to be arrested, they try every trick in the book, especially in locations where it's possible they may simply write you a uh, – an order of appearance, which is basically writing you a ticket rather than taking you in, saying, okay, basically we arrested you today, but for a bajillion possible reasons, we're not actually going to take you in and process you. Just show up at this day for your court hearing. <coughs> there are places in this country that that happens every single day, but they always see people – trying and pulling this stuff to the point that you could reasonably understand why an officer might say uh, no. Not, not, not today. Not going to let this happen today. So I don't know. What, what, else, what else do you do? Well, as a juror who's scared out of your mind, you probably go ahead and go with the mob. We're going we're gonna to find him guilty on everything. Guess what? If you do that, this man's life is not only ruined for something where the state didn't didn't make the case. Not only are you ruining the very prospect of due process for everyone moving forward, not only are you guaranteeing <coughs> excuse me. Not only are you guaranteeing mob rule wins the day. But you've made a major, major issue where you're essentially destroying the idea of liberty and due process, not just for Derek Chauvin, not just for anybody who wears a police uniform and does something you find questionable, but for every single citizen of this nation. All you have to do is get a few uh, Twitter snowflakes upset about a case, and then boom, they turn loose the bots, and then boom, everybody thinks that there's an avalanche of outrage, and then guess what happens? And even if you find him guilty on everything, whatever punishment is doled out to this man… Will not be enough to satiate the bloodthirsty crowd, and there will still be riots as long as the local officials aren't willing to step up and do what's necessary to squash said riots, riots will occur. As long as media is going to stand up and try to tell police chiefs who've had to resign that there were no riots when he had been there, when he had officers in the hospital due to head injuries as a result of the actions of the crowd, the not riot, the certainly not peaceful protests. As long as you have that kind of activity going on, there will be no justice. All your little chanting as you're rolling around, uh, marching down the city streets, screaming, uh, no justice, no peace. You need to redirect your idea and get back to the original meaning of the word justice. You need to stop being manipulated by the media and the race baiters, and you need to, I don't know, get to know the actual facts. Wait till 
uh, facts actually come out before you decide what you think is best. And certainly, certainly after the information is out there and you know what's going on, then if it's appropriate, protest. And understand, understand there is a huge difference between protests and riots. Protesting is not breaking into the footlocker and stealing the newest pair of Nikes. That doesn't do justice for anyone. Protesting is not breaking into the Target and taking whatever you want from there. Not that I have any love loss for Target. I probably have mentioned that more than a few times over the years on this show. That still doesn't make it right or okay for you to just go in and take stuff. That's not protesting. That's looting. It's part of a riot. <laughs> Chief in the chat room said, due process? We don't need no stinking due process. All women must be believed unless they accuse Andrew Cuomo. Oh, then, then we need due process. But do we do we really do we have to have due process? Well, maybe we do. <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe we should want due process because I'm pretty sure if you take two 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 very brief moments out of your very busy life and you put yourself not in the shoes of a George Floyd, but you put yourself in the shoes of a Derek Chauvin, where you were trying to do your job. You were in hostile conditions but because the crowd was extremely hostile. You were literally having to keep your head on the swivel. You knew this guy. From before. Now, maybe you didn't know him, know him. Uh, maybe you worked a completely different shift. Uh, maybe you had uh, no r real interaction, but you maybe had seen him a couple of times. You knew when you were working as security for this nightclub. You knew that he was working there too. Maybe you Maybe you didn't even recognize him. Now, I heard a lot of stories that said they had beef before, but as it turns out, all that was just noise. All that was just people adding on to it to try and make it sound like he had a reason to do this. And obviously that was just noise, or the prosecution would have hammered that home. They didn't mention it. But the fact that maybe he recognized him, maybe he didn't want to treat him that way because they had shared a workplace. Maybe that's why he didn't keep his little backside in the back of that cruiser like he knew he should have because he was the only veteran there. He knew. He shouldn't have let him get out of that cruiser, but he did. Why? Because he was trying to make it easier for him maybe. He let his emotions get in the way of doing his job. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who's accused of wrongdoing, whether you did it or not. I'm pretty certain that you are going to desperately cling when it comes time to go in front of a jury to the notion that you are entitled to due process. I'm pretty sure if the officer that comes to collect you, to punish you for your wrongdoings, for your misdeeds, if they forget to read you your Miranda, you're going to skip on that uh, technicality. 
You're going to demand it. You're going to expect it. If some judge tells you, well, you know, since you obviously knew your Miranda rights, we didn't really have to, to tell you what they were. You knew you had the right to remain silent, didn't you? Are you going to be the smuck that says, oh, okay, your honor? Are you going to be the person that tells the judge, uh, that tells your attorney to tell the judge, whoa, that's not how this works? You're going to want due process. Due process is necessary in order to have justice. And yes, our system unfortunately lets a ridiculous number of guilty people walk free. And unfortunately, sometimes it also puts innocent people in prison. But is there a system you see anywhere in the world that works better? Do you see a system anywhere else that puts the burden of proving your guilt on the state so that you only have to defend yourself against the accusation, that you don't have to prove your innocence? You just have to poke holes in their case in regards to your guilt? Isn't that a better system to protect you? Are you the only one entitled? I certainly hope you don't think so. Regardless of how you feel about the video, regardless of how you feel about Derek Chauvin, regardless of what you think may happen, there is one thing that should not be permitted, and unfortunately nobody's going to stop it. There should not be violence on the streets regardless of the outcome. If you're going to be angry, be angry at the prosecution for not making the case. Be angry at the prosecution for shooting too high on the charges. Be angry at the facts that there's not a lot of evidence that says explicitly that Chauvin is directly responsible for the death of George Floyd because there's too many other factors that were in play. He may have exacerbated the condition. He may have had zero impact at all on it. But the one thing that is pretty clear from the autopsy, from the level of bruising and damage to the larynx and the throat area, he certainly didn't kill him directly himself. <laughs> but hey, don't let the facts get in the way of a really good story, shall we? All right, uh, got to reset the hour, so that's what we're going to do, even though this first hour has really only been about a little less than 45 minutes. We'll do that uh, because, you know, still one-hour increments. If you're listening at a Late Night in the Midlands Network, uh, stay with us. Hour number two starts after this. If you're listening anywhere else, uh, tune in again tomorrow where we will do this again. Ladies and gentlemen, in the meanwhile, if I am saying goodbye to you right now, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, more importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. We built a promise on a dream Like nothing else the world has seen We built a promise on a dream we built a promise we 13. We crossed the land bridge across the ocean. 
long, long time ago. We tracked the herds here, we followed fortune on the glacial ice and snow. We came as sailors searching for adventures. We came in from the east. We crossed the ocean, we followed fortune. And our numbers, they increased Before the people stepped out to the shore Two-thirds of the first ones to die Cause along with the traitors They brought new disease The worst way that cultures collide fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you're doing with all the usual caveats of course with you as always i'm your ever so humble and you know mostly peaceful host tim tap committee live from historic roan county tennessee glad to be with you live tonight glad to have you back and also glad to have a little bit larger than the usual live audience on a wednesday night as we are now officially simulcasting along with the late night in the midlands network so glad to be joining that area so thank you michael Vera, thank you, Late Night in the Midlands, and as the show continues to grow and expand on uh, further networks and uh, more stations, we uh, 
we continue to try and reach that larger audience. And tonight, as part of that effort, have on a great guest. He's been here multiple times. He is just a man who I still can't understand where he gets all the time uh, to do all the things he does. He's a very prolific writer as well as a uh, business guru. I I kid you not, the word applies. It's not an exaggeration. Uh, He's a political commentator. He is a television and radio personality, hosts podcasts himself. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to stop blathering on about him and get him onto the show. Uh, Welcome back once again, Mr. Dan Perkins. Dan, again, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. And how are you doing before we get started? I'm doing. If you'd have, if you'd have done the full introduction, we wouldn't have any time to talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right, uh, I, I'm going to kind of throw the uh, playbook out a little bit. I had some stuff planned on uh, discussing with you, but I, I think where we need to start uh, is this breaking news report. I don't know if you've had a chance to to see it yourself yet. But I'll uh, I'll just set it up for you. There's enough information here that you can you can whatever your take should be fine. But we are getting reports right now that it is official that as of Thursday there will be this big reveal. Uh, House and Senate Democrats are preparing to unveil legislation to add four new justices to the Supreme Court. We already knew that Joe Biden had formed his committee. We heard that earlier this week, late last week, and now it seems like it's full speed ahead. They want to add these four new seats to the high court. Uh, just, I, I'm not even sure where we should start with that, so I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you jump right there. Well, <clears throat> um, I knew that there was discussions. I just want to make sure that I – to clarify, what I heard is what you said. Did you mm-hmm. say bipartisan support? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, just Democrats in both the House and the Senate. Uh, Democrats are the only ones that seem to be pushing this. Okay, because I, 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 I had not heard any Republicans in favor of it. And um, – so let's start off with uh, some of the practicalities. <clears throat> Nancy's got a problem. Nancy's got a problem because one of the open seats was filled today by a Republican in the House. So she has two votes margin to play with, two. I'm not sure that she's going to get all the votes she needs to pack the Supreme Court. And so I'm, I would be surprised that it even got out of the House. Uh, and I, I would be surprised uh, unless they, unless, it, since it's not an appropriations bill, they can't suspend the filibuster. So they're either going to have to get rid of the filibuster first in all cases because the, if they don't, it will take 60 votes from the Senate to pass it. Now, even if it passed the House and the Senate, and even if Joe Biden uh, were to sign the legislation, you can bet that in a matter of there are since they've tipped their hand for Thursday, and that reminds me, by the way, something else that I got to tell you that's going to happen on Thursday which you may not have heard. Um, So uh, you can expect that you're going to see uh, 
legal legal challenges to to the whole issue. Um, and if it goes to the Supreme Court, um, I can't imagine that the Supreme Court is going to be in favor of diminishing their positions. But you never know. I, I just think that um, the country is turning against the Democrats in many different ways. And you're going to try and convince – the Democrats are going to try and convince that this new economic program, this infrastructure program for $2.3 to $10 trillion is going to be acceptable to the, to the general public and to Congress. And she already knows – or Schumer already knows he's got a problem with Manchin. Without Manchin, he's dead in the water because he's only got 49 votes. And he may not have that many. On, on this infrastructure bill, so I think that they're trying they're trying to do everything they possibly can in this session because they honestly believe they are not going to maintain the control of the House or the Senate in the midterm elections. The odds, because the margin is so slim in the House, the the first midterm election of a newly elected president generally sees more than two-vote swing in the House of Representatives. So I believe they've pretty much decided they're going to lose the House. Now, there's another piece to that, and that is that there are, as of now, there are four vacant seats in the House. It appears that they would, they're in districts that would typically split 50-50, two Democrats, two Republicans. So it doesn't change the order of things. However, those, all of those um, special elections will be completed by November. And that assumes that nobody else resigns or, or, or gets appointed to uh, some, some government office position. Uh, so what you could have is a situation that we could go into the last – special election in November, and the balance of the House, which is from Democrat to Republican. Now, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm a person who studied the Constitution. But it appears to me that through, uh, through events, the majority goes from one party to another. There will be a, a special election for a new Speaker of the House. So I, I would envision that um, that there's a possibility before the end of the year that the Republicans may in fact take control of the House and Nancy Pelosi would no longer be Speaker. Uh, that's before the midterm elections. And so if the Republicans gain control of the House, then the likelihood of this resolution to change the makeup of the court getting through unless they rush it through, which they could, um, I think uh, it, it probably would not see the light of day uh, in this session, or at least not this year, maybe early next year. And that depends upon what happens in these special elections. If the Democrats lose control of the House and get, goes to the Republicans, then it's, it's a different ballgame. And the same thing could be, could be true in the Senate. It's 50-50, but you could have 
We know we got Joe Manchin who says he's not going to vote for the infrastructure bill. So that bill, unless there's a way they can buy him off, that bill is basically going to be dead on arrival. Um, and that's an appropriation bill, and they could go after the special provision uh, to to pass it. But this this idea of packing the court, I believe, in the Senate would require a 60-vote majority. And even if they got a 60-vote majority, which I don't think they're going to get 10 Republicans who are going to do that, uh, even if they, they somehow finagle to get rid of the filibuster, I believe before the ink is dry, Biden signs it, their, their, their lawsuits that, that go after it. So I wouldn't worry a lot about it, but I would certainly follow it. Right. Well, you see, here's my only concern when it comes to this, Dan, and that is the fact that we have seen uh, these folks push through with things that they know aren't constitutional. And we know that they learned their lesson, at least I believe, they learned their lesson from the Obama administration because what happened those first two years when they could have done anything, they moved forward, and they didn't want to seem like they were overly aggressive, and they thought they would have all kinds of time because who was going to vote against the Democrats then? They had fundamentally changed America at that point. I think they were believing their own press, and I think they figured out that they only have so much time to do the things they need to do in order to guarantee they hold on to power. And this is obviously one of those things. They, they want to nationalize elections. They want to buy off as many American voters as they can so that they at least can make the argument that it's reasonable that people voted in their own self-interest to keep free money coming their way. And then they also want to make sure that the uh, courts stay firmly in their control uh, without much thought into the idea that well, what happens when power changes again? Uh, how long till they add more uh, justices then? Now, I, I'm, I'm fully with you on the assessment of uh, the pol- politicians on the ground, but we know, we know for a fact that the Supreme Court justices, even, even the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was very opposed to the idea, but – Even though she was a bit of a leftist activist, she still had a great deal of respect for the role of a Supreme Court justice. I don't think anybody would argue that. There were times where it maybe didn't feel like she had respect for the Constitution, but she had respect Mm -hmm. for the role of that that, uh, court seat. I don't think we have that same level of respect from a majority of the left-leaning justices there now, and we have Roberts who is – well, he kind of flaps around in the wind. We, we never know where he's going to land. Uh, it's a very dangerous time. Constitutionally, there isn't a specific limited set number of justices. That's where it gets kind of iffy, and I am afraid someone like Manchin might be bullied into going along because he doesn't have a great track record of standing up against uh, our good friend from New York, the current uh, leader of the Democrats in the Senate. So. Mm-hmm. Is there even the slightest chance, sir, that you think some full-on Democrat shenanigans might occur, and they find a way to get this to Biden's desk? Because once it gets to the courts, it's it's a coin toss, and mostly because the Constitution is pretty moot on how many justices there can be. Um, that's true, but we have precedent where they tried to pack mm-hmm. the court once before. And it, right. the movement did not succeed. So there's there's precedent, um, and so it seems to me that 
you know, I, I would never be so stupid to say never say never because who knows. But I don't believe that um, that they're going to have the votes to to blatantly try and switch the Supreme Court to a socialist communist um, uh, in our democracy, so in our federal republic. So yes, anything is possible. I don't think it's possible. I don't think that it it had, would have the votes to get through. And it's it's I will say this: we will see issues before that would come to a vote in the Senate as to find out where where we are. Now, I, I, I look at both the First and Second Amendments that Biden is trying to change, and uh, he, has, he does not have bipartisan support, believe it or not, on his gun control issues. So he's going to do it by executive action because he knows that he can't get it through the Congress. Uh, I don't think I don't think the, the executive branch nominates justices, and it's just like an ambassadorship or cabinet level. The Senate has to approve. So. Um, I think we could have the things that are, we've talked about that, that could come up in advance that if they do not pass, we find ourselves, the Democrats will find themselves unlikely to press further on the judicial appointment of four judges to the court uh, because they know that that won't pass either. They're, they're, they're astute people, but sometimes they're, arrogant and incompetent people. All right. Well, I, like I said, I don't disagree with your assertion. I just I have uh, just all kinds of bad feelings about the speed at which these people are are trying to push forward. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't think all of their uh, I don't think all of their efforts are just through governmental sources anymore either. And I think a good example is one of the other topics I wanted to talk to you about. Over the course of the weekend, we heard the story of this major uh, conference call involving over 100 different uh, corporate leaders, and now uh, we've found out that uh, we have these uh, letters that's been signed, an open letter opposing voter integrity laws across the country where Netflix… CBS, Viacom, Amazon, George Clooney uh, threw his name on. Uh, a bunch of people signed this letter. We still don't know everybody that was part of this conference call, but we know that uh, there seems to be a huge push from corporate America now, or at least certain aspects, the biggest, most powerful parts of corporate America, to try and put the kibosh on any attempt to remedy some of the failings we saw in this most recent election, uh, even to the point where there Uh, making strong efforts to attack Georgia that actually 
added additional voting hours and actually made it easier to identify yourself by including things like your utility bill as a means of identification. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that was in the Georgia integrity law is much less restrictive than things that are currently on the books and not being uh, attacked by anyone from the left in states like Colorado and Delaware and New York. So I think part of this has a lot to do with the uh, Great Reset, as it has been dubbed, uh, where corporate oligarchies are, are basically uh, going to become the new form of government. These, these folks are moving away from uh, being uh, politically active to legitimately targeting the people of various states because of the very nature of voting itself. They seem to want to control how that's done. I, are you getting the same vibe from this, or am I overreacting? Do you think that I'm seeing something that's not necessarily there? These companies are just trying to seem broken, uh, woke and virtue signal, or is this a full-fledged effort to create those uh, oligarchies that we've seen pop up in places like Russia? Have you seen the the new the the tongue-in-cheek ad for Coca-Cola? I, I don't think I have. It's called Woke Cola. <laughs> and somebody's taking a, bo- a, a, a bottle, big bottle of Coca-Cola and, and put out the Coke and put in Woke. My Here's my point. Um, there is there is a whole structure that that the the people are not talking about. And and so we've got a hundred corporations, um, and we're probably looking at the 500 largest corporations in the S&P 500. Uh, there's probably maybe maybe a hundred. I don't know that they're, all of the hundred signatories are represented by the S&P 500. There may be people out of it. But here's the point. Let's talk about my business, the securities business. When you have a public company, there are certain things that are dictated in your bylaws and that the SEC requires. One, an election of directors and a requirement that you must have a certain percentage of your company directors be what are called out side directors, meaning not aligned, employed, or, or, or part of the corporate entity itself. Independent directors are sometimes called. Number two, the governance calls for certain committees that have to be set up by every public corporation. One of those committees is called the Compensation Committee. The Compensation Committee is responsible for making the recommendations to the board what the chief office chief executives of the company should be make should make and how they are measured and then those compensation packages have to be voted on by the shareholders so just because somebody from Home Depot decides they want to do a a woke thing at some point in time, what you're going to see is 
what are called shareholder suits. And this is where shareholders will file suits against the company's management and the board for not operating properly. There's nothing in any corporate charter that I've ever seen of a public corporation that says that the executives are empowered to be involved in the, the process of selecting candidates for public office or to actively pursue public policy issues without approval of the shareholders. So these people that are going out and saying they're representing Coca-Cola or Home Depot or General Motors or Ford have yet to bring any of these recommendations of what they, what they think the company should stand for to, the, to, one, the board, and number two, the shareholders to vote on it. I would expect to see very quickly, unless this dies out, you're going to see shareholder suits and class action suits where shareholders are, are, will be suing the management and the board for malfeasance and malpractice. And so that hasn't even gotten to the surface yet, but that's the next phase of what's going to happen. And I fully expect that it will happen, and there will be enough conservative shareholders who will go to board meetings or go to, to annual meetings, and if you know anything about annual meetings, you get a lot of people who have their own strong opinions, and they will call the president or the chairman or whoever that person is they will call them out if they don't think they're doing the right thing. So we're just now getting into annual report season, annual reporting season. So start looking for these companies, seeing if they're putting out board resolutions to be approved and shareholder uh, uh, resolutions to be approved. I don't think you're going to see that. Well, I, I, again, I certainly hope that you're right, and I would love to see some of these folks be brought to bear. But we have been watching for a while these efforts to try and put uh, certain uh, political spin into the boardrooms for almost every major company. And uh, you'll notice the majority of the names that I mentioned, especially the ones that have set forth and, and signed off on this letter, uh, companies like Netflix and uh, Viacom and Amazon – and uh, let's see, American Express and Merck, uh, just some of the other names that are on here. These are all companies that uh, make a lot of money doing stuff designed directly towards uh, the left side of the political spectrum, and uh, they love doing a lot of virtue signaling. A lot of them would love to garner that kind of control. I'd be curious to see how many folks on the board are actually going to stand up for fiduciary responsibilities, especially in the wake of – Certain investment firms already using this hybridized version of the uh, Chinese uh, social scoring index that they do for all their citizens. Uh, we already see some uh, some efforts to score these businesses that way, which is going to kind of create an artificial choke point uh, for cash mm -hmm. investment. 
right. it, I think it could very much be a, a huge mess if this is allowed to continue. So I very much like you're expecting. I hope that's how it works out because that is how it should be. Uh, Dan, yes. let me uh, take a little bit of a, a break right here, and then when we come back on the other side of this break, uh, we will switch up topics again. But uh, thank you so much for being here, sir. And uh, all you fine folks out there listening, thank you for being here as well. Uh, let's kick things off with the uh, Edwards Notebook. Uh, then we'll do the songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day, and then we'll get right back to the action. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The founder of the world-renowned Hilton Hotel chain, Conrad Hilton, who lived from 1887 till 1979, published a heartfelt prayer on full-page magazine ads in 1952. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, Mr. Hilton's prayer goes as follows. Quote, Our Father in heaven, we pray you save us from ourselves, the world that you made for us to live in peace. We have made into an armed camp. We live in fear of war to come. We are afraid of the terror that flies by night and the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that walks in darkness, and the destruction that wastes at noonday. We have turned from you to go our selfish way. We have broken your commandments and denied your truth. We have left your altars to serve false gods of money, pleasure, and power. Forgive us and help us. Now darkness gathers around us, and we are confused in all our counsels. Losing faith in you, we lose faith in ourselves. Be swift to save us, dear God, before darkness falls. Unquote. Let us today seek forgiveness for allowing the leftist darkness now permeating our entire republic and may we, the people, quickly regain the will to defeat the darkness so that America will be great again. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans tip of the day. The VA is working closely with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and with other federal partners to provide COVID-19 vaccines as quickly and safely as they can. The VA knows that you have lots of questions and information is changing so fast, so please check back to the VA.gov website for updates and they will continue to update the website on a regular basis to give you the latest information. If you find yourself not enrolled in the VA, but you need a COVID-19 vaccine, then go to the va.gov and locate the nearest VA facility to you so you can reach out and find out how you can schedule your vaccine shots. If you happen to be not only a veteran, but a spouse of a veteran or caregiver or a CHAMP VA recipient, the VA will contact you and let you know when your vaccine shot will be ready. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. This is Dan Perkins, and thanks for listening. What in the hell's diversity? <clears throat> well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. All right. Well, that's certainly one definition. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for listening and being here this evening. Uh, as always, I greatly appreciate you being here. And I also greatly appreciate all my guests and especially the guest who's with us here tonight. He's uh, taking a lot of time out of his very busy schedule. You just heard him with the songs and stories for soldiers, veterans tip of the day, uh, Mr. Dan Perkins. Dan, before we dive into another topic, uh, 
as we often do, I want to give you an opportunity to remind everybody where they can find your work. We do it now so we don't have to rush to try and fit it in at the end. So if you don't mind, sir, uh, websites, sure. dresses, uh, social media handles, whatever you want to share uh, right now. Um, my basic website is danperkins.guru. Uh, information about my books are on there. There's information about songs and stories uh, for soldiers on there and a link to the songs and stories website. Um, since the last time you and I talked, I know this is going to, you're going to say, how do you do that? Um, I've been publishing for some time um, a weekly oral commentary called What's on My Mind. It's done on SoundCloud. And you can go to soundcloud.com and look up my name or what's on my mind, and you can see the commentaries. But about four weeks ago, um, we launched uh, What's on My Mind video. So now we create a weekly video of that commentary. And on uh, danperkins.guru at the, at the masthead, you'll see – uh, what's on my mind, and that'll click you over to, and you'll get the the web uh, the um, web link for um, uh, YouTube, so that you can listen to them. Uh, I have to tell you, Tim, I I didn't know what the reaction was going to be, but the the copies of emails that I got even on the first show, <clears throat> where people were sending it to four or five. Ten other people, you got to see this. You got to listen to this. This guy is really good, uh, and so we're we're building an audience very quickly. Uh, and speaking of audience, um, we have a nationally syndicated, uh, now globally syndicated show called America's Cannabis Conversation. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the first quarter, we had the largest audience uh, we've ever had. And one of our four networks grew listenership by 25,000 listeners in the month of March. Um, we're now uh, about uh, trackable where we can actually see people who come in, sign in, log in, or whatever it is. Uh, we're at about 2.6 million listeners a month that we can track. But we have, uh, for example, we have... Um, uh, cable Radio News, which is a news feed on 300 cable television stations throughout the country that has over 11 million listeners. Uh, we also are tied into Roku, which has 50 million subscribers. And we just started with um, doing some advertising on Sanyu TV, which has over 70 million viewers worldwide and we're talking to both Roku and Sanyu um, about creating a half hour television show on a regular schedule but other than that I don't have much to do <laughs> well you know as long as you're uh, decided to try and uh you know, take it a little easy compared to everything you were doing before. Uh, mm -hmm. Dan, I, I still, 
I'm constantly in amazement of your time management skills, to say the least. All that on top of the fact that you're still constantly writing articles that are appearing uh, mm-hmm. everywhere from uh, uh, Reactionary Times to uh, Flag and Cross and a lot of the other great publishers out there that I occasionally find some of my own stuff at. Uh, in fact, I was hoping to have enough time uh, near the end to discuss uh, something that you uh, put up about a month ago, so I'm hoping you can remember sure. it since you've done so much since then. But uh, right. before we do that, uh, I-, I wanted to kind of get into, obviously, uh, the most heated aspect of what's going on in our uh, society right now, and that is all of this insanity involving uh, our uh, Derek Chauvin show trial is basically what I keep referring to it as. Uh, you know, the the feelings over uh, what happened with George Floyd and uh, the way the cases actually went compared to how the media has been reporting it, uh, how it's been set up to to bring forth riots regardless of what the decisions and the uh, the verdict may be, and then the uh, expansion from that. What's happened with this now former police officer Kim Porter, who was trying to tase uh, this guy who was trying to get away, who had warrants for him, uh, and of course she's got caught up in this insanity, and there's been riots happening there as well, and all that uh, with the background going on that's been very quiet, uh, I would imagine they'll probably be making some more noise as this hits uh, the more left-leaning news outlets, that fact that Officer uh, Shisky, I believe it is, uh, the Kenosha officer uh, that was involved with the, void, uh, was involved with uh, the uh, Blake uh, shooting, uh, you know, where we had the current president and vice president uh, before the election was over go visit and commiserate with the criminal side of it. Uh, that officer is now back at duty. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of different aspects uh, playing out around the country. Uh, just what is your general feeling? Everything from the Jacob Blake uh, officer returning to work, uh, the the Kim Potter, and even the way the, Jer- uh, the Derek Chauvin trial seems to be going to this point. There's a lot to unpack there. It may be hard to even keep it all straight, but uh, just your thoughts, sir. Well, I I, I appreciate uh, your your concern, and um, I I think it is very easy for us in the media to get swept up by the media and be misdirected when there's something more important that needs to be talked about and is getting minimal minimal coverage. Um, I don't know how these trials are going to turn out. I do believe that the George Floyd trial, um, as, as you follow the, as I have followed the press accounts of the trial, um, it appears that the the prosecution isn't as convinced about their story as they you would have thought they might be. We had a, a person testify today. Uh, about his mental health, his physical health, his heart trouble, uh, a lot of other things, his drug abuse, so that the defense is is painting a much different picture of Mr. Floyd than the prosecution did, and rightly so. Um, there are three charges of 
uh, manslaughter and murder and uh, uh, other things, um, I, I don't think that the jury, when they weigh the physical evidence and what was going on and what happened at the time and what was what the gentleman had done before uh, he was uh, arrested uh, and what his physical condition was at the time, uh, I don't think that the jury is going to convict him on the most severe charge. Uh, I, I, I think it's, it's probably not going to happen, is that there's going to be enough compelling evidence for a reduced charge, not that he won't be convicted, but he won't be convicted of the most severe charge. Um, what's interesting, again, what I look at is what is not what is happening, but not being reported. And what I mean by that, Tim, is that we're talking, we're not talking about what the President of the United States thinks about what's going on in Seattle and Portland and other places that are still burning and still have protests and still have Antiva and Black Lives Matter uh, involved in continuing that, that disruption and destruction of uh, some major cities in the country. So the real story is, to me, why what what is the what is the Biden administration doing they did they didn't say anything about all the riots and ever the destruction and the murder destruction of property that took place over the summer now that it's continuing they're not talking much about it at all either so they're ignoring the racial violence and the violence in general and the protest and on top of that they're ignoring uh, the cities who wanted to defund the police who have go figure if you defund the police that the crime rate goes up like it was a miracle that that must have happened that that they couldn't figure that out before, but it was obvious it was going to happen and so we've got cities now that are trying to figure out how do they save face by agreeing that they need police to come back and take over their cities. And uh, the police are not interested in doing it. So we're, we're in a, a law and order and law and a situation in some of these cities where the police have given up on the city and the people who are true citizens and care about their city are finding themselves in a very dangerous position because there's nobody there to help them. And they're angry about the left who wanted and, and defunded the police. Uh, and so there, that particular saga is not over with yet. Uh, and, and I don't know. I, I would say to you that, that in a broader context, we're, we're actually seeing the ineptitude of Joe Biden and his team. They do not know how to govern. They don't know how to make decisions uh, dealing with uh, the American people. And I don't think they're going to get better at it the longer they go. So it's a, it's a really a, a, a terrible situation for our country because more and more people are feeling less and less 
safe in the country. And so with that, I wanted, I want, would like to, with your permission, to move to what I think is a much bigger story than the shootings. Okay. Yesterday, the, the Food and Drug Administration and the Center for Disease Control suspended the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And previous to that, uh, many foreign countries had suspended the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Over this past weekend, Sinopharma, which is the big pharmaceutical company in China, uh, admitted that they perhaps overstated the effectiveness of their vaccine, that they've already sold 500 million doses of at four times, four times the price of either Moderna or Pfizer uh, vaccine. Now, this is, I, I believe, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. What's going on is nothing to do with science. It has everything to do with math. And so I've, I have in, for my Saturday morning show, I just finished a commentary today that deals with what I want to talk about. I want to give you some simple numbers. What we know at the moment is that six women between the ages of 28 and 40 develop pulmonary embolisms or blood clots. They believe, not certain, believe that they came on after they got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. At the time the announcement was made that they suspended the use of the vaccine in the United States, there were six people. In that period of time, 6.7 million people received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I suggest to you, Tim, that for the federal government to shut down a vaccine system based on an adverse reaction of six people and one of the six died, again, we don't know if it was because of the vaccine, that there's something very important we're missing. I can't justify that I would shut down a massive vaccination system because of six adverse outcomes. So there's something that we are not being told, and I don't think it's positive. Um, and so as a result, uh, we've shut down, and this, this afternoon, uh, again, this is, the, this is the FDA. The FDA said this afternoon they don't have enough information to make a determination as to whether or not the vaccine should be still on hold, and they need at least another week. Now, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is designed to be perishable after two weeks if it's stored at minus 2 to minus 8 Fahrenheit. So the millions of doses, 
if we add another week on top of what we're doing now, and I suspect will be more, um, we're going to be in a situation where those all those doses that were manufactured by Johnson & Johnson are going to be destroyed. Now, when, when they suspended the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, AstraZeneca said that they would, they would immediately go to try and figure out what's going on and that they probably wouldn't have a replacement until the fall. So we're going to have, if, if Johnson & Johnson follows the same patterns as AstraZeneca, we may have people, we may have two of the four major suppliers, five major suppliers, out of the business till sometime in the fall, if they ever come back. The other point that we have to make is that there was a disproportionate share of Americans, whites, blacks, browns, and reds, who said they were not going to take the vaccine, upwards of to 40%. Now, we've got the CDC saying they believe in order to get true herd immunity, they're going to have to vaccinate 90% of the remaining population that does not have or had the COVID virus. This is a major disaster unfolding, and the administration isn't saying anything. This is the man who came in, remember, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make sure there's enough vaccination, vaccine for everybody. He just got shot out of the water by his own FDA. And he has no idea when, when Johnson & Johnson. Now, the real important factor here is Sinopharma. They are complain, they're claiming that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine efficiency ratings are overstated. And as a result, that they're going to have to back off. Right now, there is a great deal of nervousness in America by tens of millions of people who have yet to get their vaccine as to whether or not they want to get the vaccine. a great deal of uncertainty. So while I believe and understand why the, the, the police shooting gets a lot of news, the real story that affects tens if not hundreds of millions of people in the United States is a, a major vaccine manufacturer has been put on hold. And all those people who the seven and a half million now who have gotten the Johnson and Johnson vaccine are saying to themselves what do I not know what kind of danger have I put myself in yeah well let, let me ask this then Dana you know obviously there is some type of shenanigans afoot uh, is this as simple as uh, an effort to direct dollars somewhere else 
or is this uh, maybe a more obvious play where it appears the majority of Americans were ready to put a sh- put aside all their COVID fears, and this is an effort to try and reinstate them uh, so that they can maintain the level of control that a lot of elected officials have really enjoyed having that kind of power for the last year plus? Uh, Or is it a hybrid of those, or is it maybe something even more sinister that uh, we haven't thought of yet? What what do you think is the motivation there? Well, that's that's a a great question. Um, I've thought about it a lot. And I have a couple of thoughts for you. Number one, um, I have a a gentleman, a doctor, brain surgeon, University of Pennsylvania, who I've come to know as an expert that I could go to to help educate me about what's going on with this whole COVID thing. And my brother is... um, the head of the School of Nursing at a Midwestern nursing school and, and has, has more initials after his names than the doctor that I know, and he chuckles about that. Uh, and he's, he's run the School of Nursing in three different institutions. And I said to him, you know, if you understand that the Moderna and the uh, Pfizer vaccines are genetic therapy. What I mean by that, the polio shot that you got, the measles and the rubella and your flu flu shots on an annual basis, all of those virus shots started off with some segment or part of the virus they were trying to attack. In the case of the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, There is no virus used in the creation of the vaccine. And the question I was asking my brother and then ultimately the doctor, is it possible the reason why we can't determine how long these vaccinations are going to last is that we have never had a large-scale vaccine produced the way this has been produced as the mRNA vaccine. And both professionals said, very possible. So now we're talking about if the effective yesterday, the FDA came out and said that they believe the the Pfizer vaccine will be effective for six months and that we may need boosters every six months. So what happened in my opinion, we got the virus. We got an enormous panic. We bought some time and brought down the panic level by saying that we're working Operation Warp Speed to develop a vaccine in record time. They used the mRNA process to develop the vaccine. But the medical professionals that I talked to say there were two issues that scare them to death. We don't know what the long-term implications of the virus are to the human body, and we don't know what the long-term implications are of the vaccine to the human body. So some doctors who study viruses are believing we are sitting on a powder keg that could explode and millions of people could die from it. 
I think that we had a passion to want to solve the problem as quickly as possible, and we needed to be able to communicate that message in order to save the sanity of the American people and indirectly the rest of the people of the world. And so I think that you, I don't think I can call it a conspiracy, Tim, but I think there are a lot of forces at work that want to make sure that the message about these two vaccines is that they're going to work, they're going to be effective and they're going to be safe. And the politicians need that. But what's amazing is Dr. Fauci yesterday was asked the question, if I have the complete vaccine cycle, can I still go, can I go out to dinner in a restaurant? And he's saying no, because it's not safe. What is inherent in that statement, Tim, then why did I get the vaccine if, if I'm not going to be safe going out into public with other people? So it's sending a convoluted message to the American people. You, you pointed out so aptly well that the politicians have become – you didn't use the word. I'll use the word. We have a lot of politicians, mayors, governors, city council people, whoever – who have become dictators as the result of this virus. They, they believe they have the power to decide what we should do and what we can't do. And we've got Gavin Newsom in California, who's got it shut down tighter than a drum, and we've got Greg Abbott in Texas, who's wide open. And the cases are still growing in California, and they're going down in Texas. All this sends messages, mixed messages, to the American people. And they, we don't need the uncertainty about what these messages are saying to the American people. It's a serious, serious problem. It's a mental health problem. It's a physical problem. It is a, a huge problem in terms of where are we going to go. I, I did a commentary several weeks ago that – there are 195 nations recognized by the United Nations. Of the 195 nations, 130 nations have yet to put a needle in the arm of their people. How are we ever going to get a hold of this virus and what it's doing and the strains that are coming across when we've got 130 nations who haven't even started trying to take care of their people? Yeah, these these are all uh, very serious questions, and uh, uh, I know a lot of people are asking them. Dan, I hate to because it feels like we're really getting to an important part of the discussion, but I am nearly out of time, sir. So I need to thank you once again for joining us, and uh, I hope we can get together again about this time next month as, uh, as we hope sure. to and continue this discussion and um, whatever new discussions come along. So thank you, sir. Have a great evening, and uh, appreciate you being here. God bless, and keep up the great work. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure, Tim. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that, of course, is Mr. Dan Perkins. Uh, there is a link in the show description here at BTR uh, for uh, – 
danperkins.guru. In the meanwhile, that's going to have to be it for me tonight. Uh, special thanks to uh, Joseph Gibson who popped into the chat room late, everybody who hung out, for, uh, hung out for the entire show, and for those of you who were listening live over at Late Night in the Midlands Network, thank you so much as we are now simulcasting with them as well. Remember, whatever else you take from the show, do not take my word for it, but definitely, definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. I'm out for now, but I will be back Friday night live. Hope you will join me then. Good night, everybody. using both hands.